Lead from the Side is made in partnership with Performance Leadership, a co-venture of Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. Hi, I'm Spencer Casimir, and this is Lead from the Side. Today's guest is Jeremy Edwards, COO of Asia-Pacific Rugby League. He was promoted to his current role after his success as the tournament director of the 2017 Rugby League World Cup. Previously, Jeremy has held sports administration roles with the Sydney and Beijing Olympics, and most recently, the London Olympics and Paralympics as the venue general manager of Greenwich Park. Jeremy has also been employed as a sports consultant by the International Olympic Committee in Nanjing, China. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Glad to, uh, glad to see you. So let's start out with what's on the horizons for Asia Pacific in rugby league. Well, we're currently involved at the moment. We've got a couple of really interesting tournaments coming up, but we're working very closely with uh, the National Rugby League. Uh, we've got some of our Pacific tests to be held in uh, October and November this year. Post the uh, NRL Grand Final, we'll see uh, Australia and New Zealand and Samoa play in one pool, and in another pool we'll see Fiji, PNG and the Cook Islands play. And all those matches will be played up in Papua New Guinea. So very exciting times. And then uh, straight after that, we roll straight into the uh, Pacific Games in Solomon Island, which is a nines tournament for both men and women. Really excited about that. That'll roll us through to the end of November. In fact, I'm up in Honiara next week doing our final venue walkthrough and doing some coaching courses and medical courses and that sort of stuff for the volunteers. So hopefully um, that'll get through by the end of November and then roll into a uh, bit of a admin mop-up for um, December, a couple of AGMs and that sort of stuff and then Christmas break and New Year break. So for those that aren't familiar, rugby league is extremely popular amongst the Pacific Islanders, Australia and New Zealand. But Asia Pacific is a very large region, much further beyond that. What sort of growth and what sort of stability are we seeing in terms of the rest of that region? Because you go all the way from the Middle East through East Asia and South Asia. Yeah, so it's really interesting. We, when I first started in the National Federation, we had two confederations, and we had Europe and Asia Pacific. And Asia Pacific's boundaries were a little bit what I would call rubbery at that stage. So I always said, you know, it's South Africa to South America were the areas that I was looking after. Since I've been involved, we've now had another confederation start, which is Middle East Africa. So South Africa has gone to them. So we're actually experiencing quite a lot of growth at the moment within Asia. Philippines, very active. Japan has come on board, talking to Hong Kong at the moment. And we've certainly got rugby league being played in Cambodia, Thailand, and in those parts of Asia. India is always bubbling around there. We've always got, you know, an organisation putting their hand up saying we want to be the governing body for rugby league in India and that sort of stuff. India being such a vast country like Australia, it's very hard to coordinate that to give one body a uh, access across such a vast landmass. So what we're seeing at the moment, especially within Asia, is that we're seeing the dominance of coming out of the Australian-based Asian communities. So Philippines down here are playing a lot of rugby league, but predominantly with Australian-based Filipinos. Um, what we're trying to do, or what the Filipinos are trying to do, and they're doing quite well at the moment, is getting the sport going in the Philippines and actually being able to bring representatives from the country to play in Australia down here, be able to give them more exposure to the sport. So with this, Spencer, what comes with this is, is it's costly to do this. And, uh, you know, trying to rely on government assistance and also recognition from their uh, committees and that sort of stuff. But we're working very closely with those countries, you know, giving them referee, coaching courses and those sort of things to support their growth. 
What fascinates me about this growth is that the rules of rugby league mean that it is much more cardiovascularly intensive than rugby union. To me, that makes the game more playable to more people because not everybody can field a rugby union forward. Is that something in terms of physiology that the game looks at? Yeah, it's certainly a very interesting point you raise, you know, about the size of the player and the mobility of the player. Back when I played a little bit of league and predominantly rugby union, the forwards were very big and there was plenty of time to rest with a scrum and a line out and all that sort of stuff and the backs did the running. I think the game now, because the forwards are more mobile and it's much more of a running game, I think it's quite an exciting game now as well. Fitness clearly does play a big part in it. And I think, you know, we've seen today that big people can run. The Pacific Island is a classic case of that. But I think as the rules continue to evolve in the game, I think it's good to be able to see the fast pace of rugby league these days. I think it's very entertaining. See big players like you look at a guy like Payne Huss, plays for the Broncos. There's quite a number of those big guys. I really like the pace of it. It's, uh, it's really exciting for the game. So speaking of the international world and whatnot, from a Pacific perspective, how does this new international schedule look in terms of the next Rugby League World Cup will also be men's, women and wheelchair under one roof, but then it's going to break up into separate World Cups in the future. Is this good from an Asia Pacific perspective? Is it detrimental? Is it just different? I think it's a really great idea. I mean, I was over in the England team that last year was in the World Cup. There was a huge amount of pretty. It's a great tournament, but at the end of it, we were all just absolutely cooked. So I think, uh, you know, getting it back to 10 is uh, is an interesting number. Um, I'm not sure what the magical number is. Is it more than 10, less than 14? I'm not sure. But I think, you know, we're very fortunate down here that we have we have a number of teams that have pre-qualified for league. I like the concept, you know, where the nations will be playing for those last two divisions. I like that. I think that's more, you know, it's really going to be a very competitive competition. Personally, I do like the fact that the World Cups can stand alone. You know, we've seen here for the Women's um, Soccer World Cup, what a great following the women's sport got out of that. Um, so I think having the women stand on their own is, is a really interesting thing. It gives them an opportunity to commercialise that sport as well. So the men are commercialised, the women are. And I really like the wheelchair. You know, my, my Olympic experience was all about equestrian where men and women compete as equal and in the wheelchair that men and women can compete there on the on the field together, which I think is a really cool thing. I really like that. I think that's a that's a really great that's a really great thing to do. But again, commercialising and showcasing the sport. And I think here in, in the Pacific we probably refine indoor infrastructure where with very little cost we can convert that into a wheelchair arena. And also we have large Pacific Island communities that live here in Australia that also can take advantage of the infrastructure that we have here in Australia. So all in all, I think we can really get this going. I think the biggest cost that we come up against is obviously the cost of buying the wheelchair really not cheap. And we need to have a number of those wheelchairs because we need to start off in a very low base where we're having to come and have a trial games and see how that works, but also freighting the wheelchairs around is also not a cheap aspect here as well. The size of the aircraft that we use to fly in Pacific Islands are not massive aircraft. So I think, you know, we, we could end up, you know, infrastructure-wise, cost of wheelchairs, having them housed in maybe in Australia or New Zealand and other Pacific nations would be quite expensive. But having said all that, I think there's enough people that want to play the wheelchair rugby league. You've only got to look at what happened in 2022 at the World Cup at the grand final. The size of the crowd, the hype, the razzle-dazzle around it was really great. So I think they have three World Cups that stand on their own commercially. I think it's a really exciting thing because it absolutely showcases that particular sport 100%.
Want to develop your leadership potential this October? Join the Western Bulldogs and Victoria University for Performance Leadership, a two-day program offering unparalleled insight into leading in dynamic, high-performance environments. Places for the October 5th and 6th intake are limited, so prospective attendees are encouraged to visit education.westernbulldogs.com.au to register interest today. The counter-argument is that the camaraderie that the men, the women, and the wheelchairs are sharing together is interrupted, and a lot of people aren't fans of that, so I have to obviously bring that point up, too. But clearly, from a back-end perspective, it is quite intensive to have three separate competitions going on at the same time. But this is a leadership show. We've got to talk about your leadership. Yeah. Tell us something about being COO that other people wouldn't know unless you've been in that position. <laughs> this, is a, this is a really interesting role. I have a very good relationship with a lot of our uh, governing bodies in the nation. I think for me, keeping that relationship going and keeping it healthy and positive, making sure that I'm in touch with my members, um, keeping them up to date with what's going on, um, listening to them is very important for me, I think, to, to understand their needs. But I guess the, the, the big one is understanding the culture to all the countries that I have to work in. And I think if I can understand some of the culture, but I think for me, it's probably juggling the guys from hearing from the international body what their rules and regulations are and transposing that down to members and being that person that leverages between the two. That's really important. But I, I mean, the day-to-day work is, you know, I'm dealing with people that are the ultimate leaders in the body and also some of the people that are turning up on game day that do uh, the volunteer work. And I think all that sort of stuff is really important. And to be seen, I like to try and travel to the nation as much as I can. If I could get there six, seven times a year, I would. Nothing beats a face-to-face meeting and sitting down and, and listening and talking to, to, uh, to the nations. But also trying to help them to improve. I mean, we do as much work now off-field as what we do as on-field. So, you know, going to their AGNs, helping them support them through governance issues, financial issues, accountability, all those massive amount of headings that are out there at the moment. How is the COO role different than that of a CEO in that capacity? I like to sort of treat my colleagues as we're all on the same level. I report to the chairman and the vice chairman of Asia Pacific, Sanders Pascoe, who's the chairman of Asia Pacific, Papua New Guinea, and Greg Peters is the vice chairman of New Zealand. Both of them, their day jobs are rugby league. And I think for me, I would look to them as more as the, as the chairman, but also as probably the CEO. And I think I've gleaned a lot from what they do. You know, we've got three different cultures in the room and three very vastly different personalities in the room as well. So I like to think that they're very much involved in my day-to-day work as well. I like to tell them what I'm doing, clearly articulate what I'm doing, but also I never like to take a problem to them that I don't sort of have an answer for or a suggestion. They might or may not always agree with my suggestion, but I worked with a guy many, many years ago who used to say, never bring me a corpse. Bring me something with a bit of life in it, and I can help you breathe a bit of life in it. So that's where I like to think that we try and get, you know, if I might have an issue, and I'll go to them and I'd say, well, this is what I want to do with it, and then we can build from there. Sometimes I'll agree, sometimes I won't agree. But I think having that open communication is really important and having respect for each other um, to make sure that, you know, everybody's been heard and everybody's been listened. And, um, you know, some of the best ideas I would say are going pretty ugly sometimes. 
Tell me a bit about leading the team through the trenches, through the tough times, because we did have the tough times and you're bringing people out of it now. That's a good question. I think, you know, because we do a lot of work with stakeholders, so, you know, NRL is a big part of our operation as well. We do a lot of work with the guys at NRL. This morning, I've already been on, on a call with them, I believe. got some other calls this afternoon with other nations. I think it's probably kind of what I would say. Try not to look in the revision era. Try and look forward. Yes, COVID was a tough time and we've all, we've all suffered. But now it's the time to report and it's, it's exciting what's ahead of us. Change is always a good thing. I like a bit of change. Uh, a lot of people don't like change. But I think there's some really exciting things to look forward to. And, and I think if we try, you know, with the teams that I work in and I work with people that wholly and wholly are on field and wholly and solely that are off field, if we can give some excitement to the people, some energy to the people that work on on-field projects and some of the energy to the people that work on off-field, the thought of, you know, organising a government's review workshop for a nation may leave a lot of people cold. For the people that work in that field, it's really exciting for them to be able to do that. I mean, part of my trip to the uh, Solomon Islands next week, we're going with the NRL and the Australian Defence Force, who are a big partner of them, and we're doing some coach education, some match official education and some medical education, and we're taking, you know, subject matter experts in the field to the Solomon Islands, and we've got about 25 people that are joining these courses, and that's really exciting that we'll be able to do that. Be able to give leadership to the, uh, to the to the people, and we can leave a legacy behind. You know, we'll have level one coaches, level one referees, people that will have a basic medical training, will be giving them medical kits and that sort of stuff. That in itself is a really exciting time to be able to show to the sport that this is what we can do to assist them. Two three weeks ago, we were up in PNG doing the same sort of thing. It's just really amazing. So helping them come along and saying, right, forget about what happened a couple of years ago. That's over. I always felt rugby league is a phenomenal sport for all defense forces because there is that cardio output. There is that fitness that's required. I've always been surprised that more defense forces don't pick up on it as their code of choice. What it also does bring, Spencer, is really a very big part of our game is discipline. We were very fortunate to fly on some of the military aircraft and whether where the Defence Force guys were Air Force or um, Army, they travelled with their uniform. It was yes, sir, no, sir. Everyone was on time. No one was late. And I think that's a really good part of leadership to show that, you know, the meeting starts at 9 o'clock, everybody's in the room at 5 to 9. You know, lunch is at 12, we're going to break at 12. Plane leaves at 6, we're at the plane at 5.30. You know, these are the sort of things that I think that this is a really good part of instilling discipline that the military does bring in that sort of stuff. And despite that, they're great people. They're actually lovely people to work with. And nothing's a problem. And they're there for the right reasons. They want to chat. They want to give some change. What's one of the biggest differences between when you started and now? What's the biggest difference that you've noticed about your leadership? I think there's probably a number of things. With time comes, I suspect, confidence. And I think, you know, once you build relationships, I always like to have a good relationship with people. You know, I never like to be abused in front of somebody but someone wants to take me aside, they can say what they want. I think going on one like that, it's quite, it's, uh, it's quite good. It allows people to get something off their chest. Look, I think the relationship side of things that I've built up with, with people from a volunteer right through to a uh, chairman, I think is really good. As a sport we've grown, I think we're evolving. Uh, there's excitement there. I think it's certainly, you know, changing and making sure the board composition the right the right people in place, a bit more of the expansive mind, looking for 
you know, we don't, do we have to do everything in house or can, and should we go to the market and get contractors to help us who can bring new ideas to us? But he, it's opened my mind up to more opportunities to see how wide can we push this and being more inclusive, you know, making sure that, you know, the women's game is, is, is evolving, the wheelchair, even the physical disability, they're all growing and we're getting right people involved with it. Um, you know, having good relationships with media, being able to, you know, talk to journalists and, 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 and when we ask questions by journalists and being able to answer that adequately, I think they're all, all good things. Seeing players, you know, coming from under 16s and then all of a sudden coming onto the first grade side, that's really exciting as well. And being able to think that you were part of that platform to get in there. I know when I worked in the Olympic Games, I would have never pulled on the green and gold and I was never going to win a gold medal. But I certainly, the little bit that I did contribute, helped somebody to win a gold medal, which is, that's really important. I think the big question for you right now, and there's two left, is when you have to have that conversation with somebody who's working under you, what's your approach? Not sure, actually. I think to have people working underneath you, I like to think I like to listen to everybody. I like to hear what they have to say. I don't always agree with it, but I think having people platform to be able to speak, having a bit of social interaction with them as well. I know my father used to always say, never leave the workman at the back gate, you might have been for beer. Having an interaction, listening to them, realising that, you know, we're all not cut from the same cloth, we're all different individuals, and, and people can contribute in, in fantastic ways. People can do all kinds of really cool things, and, you know, little pieces all make up a bigger use of it. You know, in my role, I don't think I've got all the answers, and I like to listen and, and give people all the news. So I think providing a platform that people can speak is important. Great way to segue to the final question. If you have any good leadership advice that you wish you knew sooner in your career, what would it be? I'm teaching at school, I think. Always be nice to the girl's mother. They'll, uh, they'll always look after you a lot better there, I think. But I'm not sure, really. I think we as human beings, and I know myself, you evolve, but I think the situation that you're in, you either evolve into that situation or you don't evolve out of it. I know I've got some fantastic mentors in this space. Of rugby league, and some of these guys have become some, you know, really dear friends of mine. They haven't always been gentle to me. They've certainly, um, you know, called it how it is. But these people that I really respect, and I think for, for people that are in leadership roles today, it's listening, listening to both sides of the argument, and trying to formulate your views. You're not being sort of so um, hard nosed about things. Listen, understand. And I think some of the greatest people that I've worked with have been people that have just really got it. And what I mean by got it, they've just understood what their role is and what they've had to do. Being around people that are ambitious is a really good thing. Being around people that are exciting and want to move on and, and do things is really exciting. So for me, I'm not sure whether I have any, what, what, what I would have changed things any differently. I fell into this career in a lot of ways. You know, I was from the land and I was due to go back home and be a, a good old country boy and life didn't play out that way and I got into this and I found it I found it really exciting to be around elite sportsmen, to be part of something and to be able to contribute to creating world champions and, and gold medalists and that was a really fun thing. That's a great way to end the show. So a big thank you to Jeremy again for being on the show. You can follow Jeremy and the organizations he is associated with at Asia Pacific Rugby League on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Jeremy, again, thank you for being on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you for having me again. It's great that you guys have got so many listeners now and, and you guys are doing these. They're really quite interesting and they're quite fun to listen to. So well done. Thanks for listening today. And thanks to our sponsors. 
More information about the show and our guests can be found in the show notes. You can follow the show on Twitter or LinkedIn at Lead from the Side or myself on Twitter or LinkedIn at BallsOutPHT. If you want to contribute to the show, send us an email at leadfromtheside at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time. And remember to lead from the side. <laughs>